He will hold me fast. What a blessing to sing these amazing truths together. How many of you, just by raising your hand as a testimony to it, can say, can think back over this last week and say, yep, there were some times this week he held me fast. Right? Amen. Amen. We need to be in tune to that. We need to recognize, be aware, be looking and expecting for God to do these things that he has promised to do. And then rejoice in them. Give them the glory. Let them strengthen our faith. Next week, we'll turn our attention to the subject of discipleship as uh, we prepare for the launch of our growth groups that uh, will begin in September. Um, We'll look at discipleship defined. We'll look at how it was demonstrated by Jesus and his earthly ministry. How he has directed and delegated that role to the New Testament church. And then ultimately how we here at Farmington Avenue Baptist Church will implement it. How it will be implemented here for us. This is going to be an extremely important time for us as a church family. Um, And I'm very much looking forward to to sharing uh, the study with you. We're getting excited uh, about this fall and the new opportunities that are in front of us. But for now, we turn our attention one more time to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I trust that uh, this has been a blessing uh, to you as it has been for me, especially this, this chapter. Uh, appreciate so much uh, all that Pastor Josh does in putting together our services. And um, obviously you can just see these themes of the gospel and our, our Christian life all throughout Romans 8. And then of course in the songs that, that just so beautifully come together. It's, I think he's glad that I kind of stretch this thing out a few weeks because there's just too many songs. It's like, man, if you're going to try to preach Romans 8 in like one or two weeks, we're just going to have to have long song services. (laughs) But uh, praise the Lord uh, for that. I will also say that the the many positive comments that, that several of you have shared over the last several weeks have been so encouraging just as God has taken the word, applied it to your heart, encouraged you um, in your faith. Um, someone said, uh, said something, you know, a blessing, positive comment last week. And I just said, well, the reality is, if you can't preach Romans 8, you probably shouldn't be preaching. I mean, that, that, that's just how it is. It's just, it kind of just lays out there for you to just pick it up and run with it um, and just... Uh, expound on on its its majesty um, and the glory that is there. But I trust it has been uh, a blessing. And of course, uh, it ends with with an amazing exclamation, and we're going to find ourselves there uh, today. Paul began the chapter with that um, 
with that wonderful statement, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What a, what a statement of the confidence that he had in the gospel at work and reality in his own life, but also strengthening the faith of those believers in Rome. They, the, the, the church at Rome, I mean, just think about their context. You know, it's kind of like being, having a church in Washington, D.C. I mean, they're like living day in, day out, 24-7, 365, right? Just kind of the government and how that works and the impact it has on lives and, and such. And, of course, back then it was the Roman Empire. And, you know, they were very well aware of, of what it was to, you know, to see justice and judgment being carried out and he makes this statement and really just bookends the whole the whole chapter as the Holy Spirit directs him to with this exclamation that there is therefore now no condemnation none zero zilch the reader's been reminded of the many facets of the active work of the Holy Spirit. The privilege of being able to cry out, Abba, Father. The present hope of our future glory. It encourages, it strengthens us. And of course what we know what we know, K-N-O-W, all caps, of God's divine and sovereign purpose for us. It, it gives us confidence. It gives us comfort. There are a lot of things in life that are uncertain. There are a lot of things in life that bring to our own hearts and minds varying levels, degrees, intensities of uncertainty. And with that comes anticipation, comes anxiety, maybe even fear. But God's got it. He's not just making it up as he goes along. He's got a plan for your life. He's in control. So this morning we're going to open God's word, look together at this final, these final few verses. Of course, this is part two of what we started last Sunday. But as we refresh our minds with it, let's just, um, you follow along as I'll read aloud for you these verses. And these are undoubtedly some of the most glorious and, and occur encouraging ever written. As I mentioned to you last week, Dr. John MacArthur says, he calls, he says of these verses, it is a hymn of security. Paul writes, Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. And who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep 
to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a thought. What a truth. We don't have time this morning. We, we talk a lot, You, those of you who are around here all the time or, or maybe watch on, online uh, on a regular basis, you know that uh, I love history and I love to weave in, you know, what was going on, give some context in that way. And, of course, um, it's easily understood, you know, what, what life was like in the first century, what these Christians were going through. It's well documented throughout the pages of history. When you understand that, when you think about that, even for just a moment, how these words must have come to these early believers. So much was happening, spinning around them. These were days of uncertainty. The Holy Spirit was at work in their hearts and in their lives, and yet in all of that, there was this tension that existed in the church, as, you know, it always has, but just also just with society, with family, with friends, with business associates, in the marketplace, what, whatever it was, they're just, it, it certainly didn't match up. And so as Paul concludes this, this, what we have as a chapter, but really kind of this section, as we said last week, he, he asks a whole series of questions. And, and you know, I'm not going to re-preach last week, but, you know, he, he basically just says, how do we respond to all of this that, that we've just shared? Um, you know, the question, it, it's posed to, posed to expect a response. You know, so what do we say about this truth? How do we respond to it? Again, the gospel isn't just for, to feed our intellect. It's to impact our life. God's for us. Who can be against us? And it really is kind of a statement on the front end then with the rhetorical question. Since God is for us, I mean, how could you come to any conclusion other than that based on all that has just been, you know, shared? So when we live in that truth and when that truth has been confirmed in our hearts by the working of the Holy Spirit, since we know that, then who can really be against us? Puts it everything into perspective, doesn't he? I mean, what chance does the enemy really have? Doesn't mean life's going to be easy. But we do kind of know the end, right? <laughs> then he asks us, what, what, can, what can we expect from God? Again, if he doesn't even spare his own son, but he gives his own son for us when we were his enemy... Now that we can run to him and call him Abba, Father, isn't, isn't he, don't you think he's going to give you everything you need to grow in your faith and to, to, to live through this life? 
There's no greater proof of love. Once we were the enemy, now we're, we're the child. What doesn't the father give? And then he brings us into the courtroom, right? We looked at that last week as we were finishing up. The divine courtroom, and of course Satan is called the accuser of the brethren by John in, in Revelation 12. And we noticed last week that the word glorified there um, back up in uh, verse 30, it's, it's in the present tense, or excuse me, it's in the past tense. It's, it's as good as done. You know, for those, those he called, he justified, and he justified those he glorified, it's as good as done in God's mind. And so God wants to live so that there are no doubts. And he says, who can bring a charge? I mean, you can't even bring a justifiable, reasonable charge against God's children. Because God declares the believer to be justified, to be innocent. The case is settled. And then he asks, and who can even, I mean, he can't bring a charge, but just to drive this home, who can even condemn? He's already declared. There is no condemnation. But again, see, that, that little thought nags at our minds. It's back there gnawing away. Our own frailty, our own sin, our own struggles. Kind of feed that, let alone all the other stuff around us. And of course, the answer that he gives is just simply in the gospel. And he just lays it all out once again. Christ Jesus died. More than that, he was raised. And he's presently at the right hand of God. And he doesn't sit idly by while accusations are being hurled at God's children. No, he is present, active, tense. He is interceding for us. It's not on his to-do list. Hope I remember to do it tomorrow for you. He is interceding for you. So then we come to these last two questions and Paul, that Paul poses uh, to us. And it really draws from his own life experience, doesn't it? You know, he, he's going to write, and it's probably very soon, very near the time that he writes this. But he's going to write another letter back to the, the church at Corinth. And, and in that, in set what we have is 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll just get back up there and read it for you real quick. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, Paul kind of walks them through his own life experience. And, and, and really these questions, it's, it's like, look, I've lived this. I, I'm not just, this isn't just, you know, as we say, preacher talk. I'm not just saying, here's what you should do. This really is his own life testimony and life experience. Because in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from river, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toils, 
hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who's weak? And I'm not weak. Who's made to fall? And I'm not indignant. Paul says, look, I've lived this. I get it. There are the physical pressures and the physical struggles and and the things that come into our lives and we have no control over them. Then there are the things and the messes we get ourselves in very well, right? I mean, we're incredibly adept at that. There's physical pressures. There's emotional pressures. And so to all of this, he then comes and he, wrapping it up, and he gives us these last couple questions. There's a lot here. And he says there in verse 35, so who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He's going to answer a question with a question, which you're really not supposed to do, but he's Paul and it's under inspiration, so who are we to argue, right? But understand what he says here with this question. What he really is saying, because we think, who can separate us from the love of God? That in our, you know, in our context, in our English mind, that kind of gives us this impression, this thought of like, somebody's going like to come running over and like kidnap us away from God. And that's not even, that's really not what the word means. It's a lot less than that. I mean, that would be terrifying but really what this word means who can separate us from the love of God really what it means is who can even put space between I mean it would be horrible to be kidnapped away from the from and you know kept from God's love he's like not only can he not do that he can't even come down and like Put space between us and God. Think about that. That's the power, the significance, the greatness of the love that God has for you. Thank the Lord that our security is not founded on our love for God, but God's love for us. Because we are a fickle bunch. And this week didn't go so well, and I'm not really sure. I mean, I know I'm supposed to love you, but I don't really like you right now. Right? But God is ever faithful. And there there is no end of the list. Of things that come into my life, come into your life, come into our lives. That it really does cause us, if we're not careful, if we're not on our guard, to begin to question, does God really still love me? Okay, I know know he does. But I'd really like it if he were like right here. But he feels so far away. And Paul's answering that question. 
Because that's what he's saying. He said, who can even put space between his child and the love of the father? Nope. I mean, we know the answer. I've already read the text. Paul knows, and I mean, he knows his own heart. The Holy Spirit knows our hearts. And the Holy Spirit directs him, says, go ahead, let's, people like lists. Let's make a list for them. He's going to give us a couple of them. And he lists seven things that are representative of the all things that we hear about back in verse 28. These are all things that God can use for our good. None of them, though, can come between him and us. But aren't these just representative of, of, as I said, his own testimony? When you look at them and when you, you know, again, we read them in the English and we're like, oh, okay, I get that and we conjure up maybe an idea. A lot of these were really kind of in their vernacular. And so when he makes the list, they really get what he's doing and walking through every facet of life. And what he does is he basically says, look, whether it's an event in life, whether it is just an all-out enemy, whether it is, you know, a question of economics, or it's the government, in their case, the emperor. Good for me because I like to alliterate. These four things, nothing, none of these things can put space between God's love for me and him. What he says there when he starts the list if you, look, if you look, again, he, you know, he's answering the question with a question. Because, okay, who shall separate me from the love of Christ? And again, all right, I know nothing, but let me just tell you what happened this week. And so he begins to, to, to make it. Shall, tribulation, or distress. These are just normal life circumstances. Again, we kind of look at that and we're like, oh, tribulation, distress. I mean, those are really big things. Not really. They, they under, this is like, we call this Tuesday. This is just what happens in life. And so many times in our frailty, we let just those little things just really rock us. Right? And I mean, come on, let's be honest. It can get silly in a hurry. I mean, I needed this thing, right? And I ran down to the store and they didn't have it. Oh, no. My day is ruined. Does God really love me? He would have made sure that was in stock. Don't look at your neighbor. You've done it. The word tribulation, it just means pressure, a difficulty, trouble. They're things that everybody faces, experiences to one degree or another. And, and we have to guard against allowing the trouble to cause us to become so self-centered. It's not all about you. But man, we can, we can get there in a hurry. But what he is saying, the point he's driving home here with kind of this rhetorical question is, look, God has not forgotten you. 
God has not lost track of you in, in the mix of all the billions of people walking this planet. God hasn't lost track of you. And God's love for you has not been diminished. In the first century, there was a farming implement, and they called it the tribulum. What the farmer would do is he would take a, a cylinder, sometimes it's just, you know, a really good straight log, and he'd, you know, cut it to whatever size he wanted it. And then the exterior of that log, he would pound into it pieces of, you know, metal or, you know, pottery or something, sharp stuff. The idea was you take the grain and, and spread it out, and they would roll that tribulum across the grain for a purpose. Never did the farmer take the tribulum to the grain in order to destroy her with the purpose or idea of destroying the grain. It cut away the husk. And it revealed the meat inside that he needed so he could then thresh it and just get what was good to take to market. And that's what God too is doing. There are things in our lives that sometimes, yeah, tribulation, pressure has to be brought to bear to get that away from us so that the fruit can come out. Distress. Yeah, things are piling up. No, it's not fun. This, this word in the Greek, it literally meant narrowness, to be penned up. Think of a tight space. Some of you are having trouble breathing, like my wife right now. It's that feeling of claustrophobia. Not pleasant. Can we not all identify with this? Tribulation, distress, these are events of life. He goes on, he says the word persecution. Okay, now this is... Those things, those guys, those people that come at us. And, and yes, it, it, the understood was that in large part because of you living, trying to live your faith. They're not kind. And the word means to pursue, to just kind of nip at your heels constantly, chasing after you. God, I'm just trying out here, just trying to live out here to live my faith. To be a Christian every day. And they're just constantly after me. Paul's like, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> Famine and nakedness. Again, this is tough economic times. When we don't have everything that we want. Yeah, there's a scarcity of the basic needs of life. Get that. That happens. But if we trust God, isn't that when we, so many times, if you've lived that in your life, and I, I, I dare say that probably most of us have at some level or another, all of a sudden that's when God steps in. And he says, watch this. And he provides. You hang on to those times. 
Boy, I, I have a journal from back in the days when we were planting our church down in Georgia, and it's just story after story of that. How God just at the literally sometimes the last minute stepped in and provided. Sometimes it was just little things, sometimes it was really big things. And can I tell you how many times in the last eight years my heart and my mind have gone back to those things when I'm going, God, I'm not really sure how you're going to do this, that, or the other. And he says, remember? And of course, peril and sword, this, they understood. The world at large, and especially a pagan government, doesn't really go with your faith. They're not all about it. This is, and when he talks here and uses these two words, this is the antagonism that will likely come from a secular society. Peril is to be put in danger by authority that is, yes, antagonistic to Christ. When he says, and the sword, that was commonly understood. That was the aspect of government related to judicial punishment. Yes, it might come to that. They had already seen Christians martyred. Apostles were already disappearing. But none of this can separate you from the love of God. None of it. Yes, there are questions, but there are also answers to every single one. Paul invokes a passage here from Psalm 44. That's what he, he says there, and depending on how your Bible's laid out, um, mine, it kind of breaks it out, you know, puts space and all the stuff. This is from Psalm 44, and the psalmist says, For your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You know what I think he's really doing there? He's helping the believers in the first century, now us in the 21st century, he's helping us to acknowledge that the sense of desperation is real, the danger is real, but it's also not new. Those who have sought to follow God with their lives and be obedient to God in their lives, this is nothing new. You know, so many times, oh, it's just never been like this before. Yeah, it has. Many times. Again, get over yourself. And so Paul does what, you know, any great learned Jew, and of course he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, would do. And he just reaches back and grabs a psalm and says, there. <laughs> it was like that thousand years ago. And here we are now 3,000 years from that and 2,000 years from Paul and going, yep, still like that. So then he says, put it all in context. He's asked questions. He's, he's answered questions. The Holy Spirit has answered questions that are not written here actually on the pages. But the Holy Spirit has taken truth as this has been extracted and put it in your heart and gone, uh-huh. Same thing was happening to them as they read it. And so he says in verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. When I was a little kid, 
we had moved, it was, uh, I guess, about 1974 or so, we had moved from Jacksonville, Florida to Schaumburg, Illinois, right outside of Chicago in the northwest suburbs, and Bethel Baptist Church was there, and my dad was brought on as the first assistant pastor. The church had been planted. It was growing. We were there for about 11 years, and when we got there, it was about 180. When we left, it was about 1,200. I mean, these were like the boom years uh, of, in churches. And in that process, they had started a Christian school. Of course, I, I was in kindergarten, and I was enrolled in the very first kindergarten class. And I remember vividly, I got up in, you know, so every year they're adding a grade, right? And so I'm progressing with all of that, me and my, my friends. And we got up to like 7th or 8th grade, and of course then it dawns on everybody, oh, like we're probably going to have like some sports and some teams and some stuff like that. We need a mascot. And so I remember vividly them announcing, we're going to have a contest to pick the name of a mascot for our school. And obviously you know what mascot was picked, because that's what I'm talking about in this context. There was a kid named Walter Hunt. Don't know what ever happened to Walter. Incredibly gifted musician and, you know, smart kid and the whole nine. But he, he went to Romans 8 and he pulled this out and he said, you know, he wrote in his little submission, we should be called the conquerors. This should be our, our verse for our school. And um, there's even a song uh, that was uh, popular then, a Christian song at that time that went along with it. I mean, he like had the whole package. It was like Josh before Josh's time. But we were the conquerors. To this day, they're still the conquerors. They're one of the largest Christian schools in Illinois still. Right out of here. They knew Roman citizens in the first century. They knew all about being the conquerors. I love the word, though. Because what he says here is, no, we are even more than conquerors. And by putting that, like, superlative in there. He says, God's child will be the victory through the power of the Holy Spirit. And literally what he does, again, in the Greek, Nike, the goddess of victory. It's on some of your shoes right now. <laughs> That's where it comes from. He takes that, he puts the superlative on the front, and conquerors, what he says in that phrase, more than conquerors, it's hyper or hooper nikeo. You are a super victor and they're reading it they get it they're like oh wow we are more than conquerors see there are answers to every question individually but there's also one great answer and Paul says I am sure of this I am convinced I am fully persuaded and notice what he does here with these final six groups. There's ten things listed, but they're, they're really groups. I'm going to go really fast. He says, I am persuaded that neither death or life, no matter what the believer is still assured of, God is love. Whether we live or whether we die, God loves you. And some of them were dying. Paul knew that he would in the not-too-distant future. Angels or principalities or rulers, literally it's God's angels or Satan's minions. 
Neither angels nor principalities. Angels wouldn't. And demons couldn't separate us, put a space between us and God's love. Or powers. You pick. Earthly, spiritual, whatever is out there. Nope. Then he says things present are things to come. These are the extremes of time. Well, yeah, but what about if it gets really bad? Nope. Neither things present nor things to come. It's never going to get so bad that there's space between you and God's love for you. Neither height nor depth. Extremes of time. Now he goes to extremes of space and measure. You can't go high. I mean, think Psalm 139. You know, where, where shall I flee? Neither height nor depth. Nor any other creature. In case anything else was forgotten. In case you come up and go, yeah, but what about? Now, nor any other creature. All-inclusive, climactic statement of confidence. Brings the truth of God's love to a dramatic crescendo. I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What greater doxological affirmation could ever be made of God's great love for you, his child? And so I ask, Christian, what difficulty are you facing right now that's making you question God's love? What is it that you're going through, that God has brought to you, that God is allowing, what tribulation, what distress? And in the midst of it, you've got these thoughts. God still loves you. What is that plaguing doubt that presses to the forefront of your mind in the dark of night, in the moments of loneliness? What is that thing that Satan consistently uses to foster doubt in your heart about God's ability to love you? Guilt over something done way back when. You ask God's forgiveness for it. You're like, okay, I know God forgave me, but then Satan keeps bringing it up. Did he really? Yeah, he did. You know why? Because he loves you. Because of God's love demonstrated through the gift of eternal life through Jesus, the present working of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You're a super victor. And there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, thank you for this amazing truth, how we so desperately need the exclamation of it. No doubt in the first century these Christians were struggling, no doubt they were, they were questioning 
okay, I know God loves us. I mean, we've heard about Jesus, but who is it getting tough? I, I, I wonder if he still does love us. Yes, he does. With an everlasting love. And there is nothing that can even put space between us and God's love. So, Father, I pray that you would take this truth, confirm it in our hearts. Well, Father, comfort hearts this morning that need it. Father, convict hearts that maybe need it, that are questioning and wondering about this thing called Christianity, God and his love and what that means. Oh, Father, thank you. We praise you. We glory and revel in the fact that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name.